Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whatever time of day it is, I hope this podcast finds you well, both from a personal health perspective, but also professionally. I know these last five weeks have been an absolutely wild ride, both on the food service side, where demand just collapsed from one day to the other, as well as the retail side, where demand has never been higher. So allow me a quick minute to introduce myself. I'm Anna-Marie Rurink, and I'm the president of 210 Analytics. I'm a very small research company, and I focus on researching the grocery industry. And one of the categories I look at the most is meat. And for the last 15 years, I've been writing a research study called The Power of Meat. In it, we look at consumer behavior, not only in what are they buying, and, and we look at store data there, but more than anything, why are they buying what they're buying? And as part of it, we've been trying to understand the whole interaction between the red meats, uh, beef and, and lamb and pork, but also understanding all that pressure that is out there right now. Now, I remember the very first time, it was actually about a year or two ago, I was asked to speak in front of a producer audience. And initially I was wondering now, why in the world would a producer try to understand all these different trends that are happening at retail and, and really driven by the consumer and understand what motivates the consumer's meat purchase today. And then about three weeks before that, I was running a focus group and the questions that I was asking were, were regarding what we call claims-based meat. All the things like organic and grass-fed and antibiotic-free, no antibiotics ever. And my question was, do you buy it and why? So we went around the table and there was a lady from Nebraska who said, no, I don't. And I asked her why. And I was fully assuming that she would mention price because that's what I typically hear when I, when I ask this question. And she said, no, I'm, I'm from Nebraska and I try to buy Nebraska beef and I trust the Nebraska farmers. I know they treat their animals well. I know they respect the land. I trust them and it's not necessary for me to have all these claims on there because to me it is about who I buy from. And that really brought home to me all those trends that we have been looking at over the last couple of years. And those are things like believe in better, if you will. And what I mean with that is there is a lot more focus these days on what we're eating in terms of our own personal health but consumers are also looking a whole lot more about animal welfare. In fact, that is one of the biggest impact uh, these days on the meat purchase, as well as the impact of the meat on the environment, the, the producing of the meat on the environment. And we're also a lot more curious about the brand behind the meat. Who was the farmer? Where was it raised? How was it raised? What was the social and corporate responsibility, if you will? And that lady from Nebraska really brought that home for me that even though as an industry, we often like to think as the supply chain as being linear with, if you will, the producers all the way on the left and consumers all the way on the right. If it were up to consumer, this supply chain would be a lot rounder. They really want to know at every single step of the way what is happening, who the people are, what their motivations are, and more than anything, who they want to hear from is the producer. And in the end, I think it just boils down to the good old saying, people buy from people they trust. That's always been true and it's still true. Now talking about that trust, there's a lot of people that are trying to undermine that trust. And then if you look at the consumer media, whether it's written print or uh, it is TV or radio, there is a lot of negativity out there, even now um, about coronavirus and how it supposedly is related to animal agriculture. 
And all these articles and TV and radio appearances are all about the supposed impact of meat on the environment, about the supposed horrible ways in which uh, farmers treat the animals. Just a lot of negativity out there. In fact, I just simply typed in animal agriculture in Google one day and was curious what came up. Now, if you think about the term animal agriculture, it's as neutral as building furniture. But when I typed that in, the very first thing that came up was an article funded by PETA and that started off with, when it comes to climate change, animal agriculture is the leading culprit. Now, how in the world does that answer my Google search of animal agriculture? The second article was about people also ask about why is animal agriculture bad? The one to the right of it was about intensive animal farming, about animal uh, testing, about cruelty to animals, all these very negative topics, even though I simply typed in animal agriculture. And why I say all this is because over time, a lot of that negativity can impact how people think about meat. And a lot of the pressure has been on red meat. Uh, there's been a lot of negative pressure about the supposed impact on health, animal welfare, the environment. And what it can do over time is just undermine people's notion of, I need meat in the diet, in other words, the permissibility of it. But also, I want meat in the diet, in other words, the favorability of it. So as an industry, I think our first biggest win is just the idea of meat belongs in the diet. We're not doing anything wrong. In fact, it is something the body needs and meat delivers nutrients, including protein, iron, and all these other nutrients better than any other food on the planet. Now, with all this negativity, though, consumers still are very much meat eaters. More than eight in 10 consumers in the United States self-describes themselves as meat eaters. And sales certainly back that up. So when we look at 2019, well before coronavirus, our dollars were up, our pounds were up. And in fact, the protein that the negativity is mostly directed at, which is beef, was actually up 1.7% in dollars and uh, about half a percent in pounds. Lamb too did very well in 2019, was up about a percent in, in sales in dollar sales, uh, even though there was a little bit of volume pressure. But in all, the meat category in 2019 is just simply very big, very powerful, and it is growing despite of what people are saying. Now, it's very important to understand the who behind that sales as well, because it's a big part of what is happening right now. And that really relates back to the different generations. We've all heard of the boomers and the millennials, and the boomers were really the biggest generation in terms of spending. But then a couple of years ago, millennials took over as the biggest generation. And a lot of people assumed that that meant they were going to be the biggest spenders as well. Well, that turns out not to be true. They waited a whole lot longer to have families. They had big debts coming out of college. And today, if you look at the me dollar, 35 out of $100 is still sold to boomers. Now, boomers know their way around the meat case. They can cook any and all different cuts, and that's exactly what they're doing. So they are engaged with lamb. Now, if you look at the future growth, millennial spending is gearing up 2.4 times faster than the average shopper. But the problem with the millennials is that they don't know a whole lot about meat and they certainly don't know a whole lot about lamb. And what that means is if we think about the now and the fact that the dollars, and we're gonna look at that here in a minute, 
but the dollars just shot up all throughout March and early April, and we're seeing a lot of engagement with smaller proteins, it means that a lot of consumers have cuts in their freezers that they don't know a whole lot about. So let's look at what is happening right now. Well, it's a very odd world we live in, not just in terms of our social distancing, um, but also in terms of what happened at retail. So the world just started to really, really change that very first week of March, which is when the first cases were identified and some of those social distancing measures started to happen. And even though, of course, coronavirus is an upper respiratory disease, apparently one needs about a year's worth of toilet paper, one needs thermometers, a year's worth of water, and a whole lot of food. So that first week of March, we saw non-edibles, as we call it, gear up. A lot of things like paper towels and cleaning supplies and Lysol and everything you could imagine in order to keep our houses, our cars, etc., clean. But really starting the week of March 8 onwards, that's when those enormous surges in food took place. So the week I'm going to call out to you is the week that ended March 22nd. Overall edibles, so anything that is food in the store, was up 80% over the same year last year. So that means that for certain categories like frozen foods or meat even too, we were simply selling double as much in the retail store than we were the same week the year before. Now you can only imagine what that means in the store, but I also understand what kind of pressure that puts on you as the producer and the entire supply chain of meat. Because if I look at the meat department as a whole, over the stretch starting on meat March 8th all the way to April 12th, which is the latest data that I have, we've been in double-digit sales for this entire stretch of time. And there, there were proteins, if I go down to the next level, where I actually start looking at the individual proteins, where we're seeing double, triple digits. So, for instance, pork or turkey. Um, and lamb as well, we're seeing several weeks where there's triple digit growth compared to that same week the year before. Now, what's interesting about all this is when people first started to stock up on meat, we saw a lot of engagement with beef and chicken because those are the two big proteins. That's where the knowledge, especially the ground beef comes in. Ground beef has been seeing tremendous sales um, chicken, we went so deep into the supply that there just wasn't a whole lot of chicken to go around there for a while. Uh, but what started to happening is as items were out of stock at retail, people started to engage with proteins that they don't normally buy. And some of those were pork, pork and turkey, but certainly there was a lot of engagement with lamb as well. Because if I look at the trend line over these last couple of weeks for lamb, we're looking at 55% for the weeks of March 15 and 22 in terms of growth. And actually Easter week, which is always a big week for lamb at retail, was up 108%. So what that means in all practicality is that not only did a lot of meat get sold, but we engaged with a whole lot of people who had never bought lamb before. In fact, I was shopping at Publix here locally in Lakeland, and I saw somebody kind of browsing the very, very empty meat case, and he put in the very last package of ground beef, and then he kind of walked over to, to lamb and bison, and he put one package of each. And from a safe car to distance or two car distance away, I asked him, um, did you buy ground lamb before, ground bison before? And he said, no, I've not bought either before, but, you know, it's 
ground. I, I guess I can figure this out. I'll, I'll just make it into burgers or something. And, and you know, I'll, I'll guess I'll have to figure it out. It's all that's left. And that's ground. Indeed, a lot of people that don't know much about meat will buy ground. But we all know that at some point the entire meat case was empty, except for the plant-based alternatives, of course. Um, but that means we had a lot of people buying lamb that had never made lamb before. And this is where I think that producers can have a huge impact. Now, I'm not going to deny that probably one of the first sources they go to is recipes.com or Pinterest or what have you. But again, I think as a producer community, this is where we can really bring a lot of not only our knowledge of the product, but also our passion for the product. And I'll give you an example of that. Um, I was talking to a beef producer out west uh, from Sunset Farm. His name is Matt Barn. And he's very visible in terms of social media. He's on the packaging. He does a lot of podcasts and Facebook Lives appearances. And he was at Rayleigh's, which is a big store out west. And he simply talked for probably 20 minutes about his philosophy on raising animals, how he wants his animals to have the best life possible. And even that final day, they try to make as best as possible. And when we looked at the stats afterwards, the engagement of the consumer in terms of likes and sharing and just watching the entire video was up to five times higher than any other video they'd ever run. And the retailers tell me the same thing that when the butcher does videos, whether it's simply talking about a cut or they're in his own backyard grilling for Memorial Day, those are the types of appearances on social media that matter most. So I would say keep in mind all those people that love meal adventures, that eat lamb in restaurants, but have no clue how to make it. And again, a lot of those are the millennials that really started stocking up on meat. What would you say to them? Do you have some recipes that you, as, as an expert in this area, love? What is your favorite cut? What is your favorite way of making it? If you make it on the grill, what do you do? If you own an Instant Pot, which is a huge appliance for a lot of shoppers these days, how do you make it? What is a great vegetable to go with it? What is a great wine that goes with it? And really try to talk a little bit about your philosophy on animal welfare, about your philosophy on, on antibiotics, for instance. But above all, your love and knowledge of the lamb. I think that can just make a, a huge difference, um, not only this time of year when people have bought lamb that never bought it before, but just all around for the trust that people have in meat and the trust that people have in lamb. So I was talking about that rounder supply chain earlier. I think the more that we can link directly with consumers about our knowledge, our passion to deliver a delicious, a safe, a nutritious and sustainable lamb product, the better we're going to do. The other challenge I have for you and, and really for the entire lamb and meat communities are these times are incredibly important to share our knowledge and our success stories with others in the industry as well. Those of you calling on retail or, or feeding into retail have, have had records weeks. Others of you that are more, more dealing with food service, the demand just collapsed overnight. But I've heard some incredibly creative stories. I've heard of local grocery stores that are selling restaurant food in their deli department. I've heard of restaurants who have changed their operations in butcher shops. Um, there was a local restaurant here in Fort Lauderdale that was an up end, like kind of a, a premium steakhouse. And initially the idea was to just simply sell off whatever they had available in terms of their meat protein in order to sell off their supply. 
And if we're selling New York strips, for instance, what would go into in the um, restaurant for $28, they were selling those for $9. And he wanted to keep his staff engaged and paid as long as he could. And then he realized that being a butcher shop was actually so successful that right now he is ordering three times more beef than he ever did in the restaurant. And he actually plans to keep the butcher shop part of the restaurant open once all the restaurant restrictions are lifted. So I think there's many success stories like that out there. And that might be a way to continue to push lamb sales both at food service and at retail to grow people's engagement with lamb their enjoyment because that's of course what is all behind it if they have an enjoyable experience in their first ever lamb purchase they're going to buy it again so i would say link up with each other find me on linkedin again it's anna marie roaring i would love to hear and share your stories and um, also consider the fact that right now there's a lot of um, addressing the food insecurity. Again, this is where consumer media is not doing us any favors. There's a lot of talk out there about, is there going to be enough meat? Is the supply chain of food um, going to, to fail on us? So the more you can just simply talk about the fact that the supply chain will keep going, um, that is a very positive story right now. Helping your local communities is a great and positive story right now. Um, and last but not least, I hope that you continue to be safe and well. Uh, and I hope we will find all sorts of creative ways to work together, grow consumer engagement, make sure they have the best and most enjoyable um, experiences with LAM. So thank you. Reach out to me and I hope to hear from you. Take care.